Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Tom Selby, Senior Analyst at AJ Bell, and Tracy Crooks, Chartered Financial Planner at Quilter Private Client Advisors. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having us. So over the past few years, concerns have been raised that advisors are at risk of missing out on a generational windfall by failing to service the young people likely to inherit their current clients' wealth. Research from Brooks MacDonald estimated £327 billion would be passed on over the next 10 years. But despite this, many advisors seem not to have any relationship with their clients' children. So is the intergenerational wealth transfer a pitfall for advisors who could be coming out of touch or an opportunity to expand the sector and get more people interested in financial advice. Tracy, what would you say are the key things advisors need to do to make sure they make the most of this opportunity? Thanks, Imjin. Good question. I think to make the most of this opportunity, the best thing that you can do as a starting point is to bring in your clients' children, mm. bring in family members to the conversations so that they understand their parents' wealth. We don't talk about money enough. It's great to see in the you know in the papers and in the on the television these days more adverts talk about money. It's a topic that people don't talk mm. about, and yet it causes the biggest issues. Yeah. So it's good to see that, and you know, getting people to talk about money more. And by bringing in these younger clients into those conversations, they understand what their parents and grandparents have. In some cases, they don't, you know, the parents and grandparents, it's almost harder to get them to agree to have their children in because yeah, they don't necessarily imagine. want them to know it all. <laughs> but I do think it's great. I mean, as, as advisors, we're privileged because we get given financial information, sensitive information that sometimes family members don't actually, you know, aren't always aware of. So I think where you can bring those family members in, you've got the opportunity then to kind of extend your I guess your lifespan with the relationship with the family and with that wealth um, you know sort of keeping it going so by looking after the grandparents parents and kind of you've got that succession planning in terms of your own business as well as as the clients sure I absolutely agree with that. And um, I think that financial advisors are in an incredible position, incredibly important position in um, when you talk about people not talking about money. I think that's absolutely true. I spend a lot of my time going out to events and speaking to direct customers and things like that. And you're right, there are still taboos around money and taboos around death as well and things like that and passing on money. And the, the value that can be brought there by good advisors in bringing members of families together talk about quite difficult issues and make these things slightly less difficult I think is hugely hugely important. Yeah it gives you a reason to talk about it because your financial advisor is right there and it brings up the topic kind of automatically rather than that awkward conversation around the yeah. breakfast table yeah. or something. Yeah, well, it's one of, and it's one of the biggest problems facing society, really, is that people don't want to deal with their finances in various ways. Far too few people go and seek financial advice. And if you're able to bring families in, I'm sure there's obviously the, the business point for advice that if you bring families in, then there's potentially streams of income that are going to come there in business over longer periods of time. But on a broader point, then you're able to educate far more people and that will grow exponentially. And hopefully as a site, we'll get to the point where everybody's saving enough and understands the way their finances work better. Yeah. I also find that quite often one half of a couple understand their financial mm. position and the other doesn't. Oh, wow. yeah. So um, trying to have the conversation with both parties as well because I've been with clients where the husband knows everything and the wife kind of walks away. She's 
sometimes it's they're not overly interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, investments, they're like, yeah, no, I've, as long as I've got enough money, that's fine. But other times it's almost that they either they don't want to know or that's just kind of not their part. But it's really important that we get kind of both parties understanding what's going on. And I always say to my clients that it's not just looking after your pensions, not mm. just about you, it's about your family as well. And actually, if something happens to you, I'm here. I'm here and, you know, I, I know the full you know situation, your full circumstances, mm. and I'm here for your your wife, your children, yeah. um, you know, your husband, whatever the situation is. But do you feel like that's, is that something that's changing, do you think, then, in the conversations that you're having with clients? I mean, I suspect that a lot of those, uh, the things of not wanting to talk about money, and particularly between couples not wanting to talk about money, would be rooted in kind of historic roles that maybe men and women have taken in the household with a man going to work and a woman often staying at home. And clearly that's changing quite rapidly now. And my sense, and I've got no basis for this, but my sense would be that more and more this, these kind of decisions are going to be taken by, by family units as a whole. Is that your experience? Yes. And I think we're we're seeing kind of people who retired couples now, mm. generally you've got one with a bigger retirement pot than the other. But my starting point now with the younger generation is making sure they're both building sure, their, right. you know, retirement savings building. So you're not their, reliant so on not reliant mm, on one yeah. or the other. One thing that came up in the research that I was reading was that IFAs kind of miss the mark on what is important to younger clients. So um I think it was a, a report by Brooks McDonald that was saying that IFAs think that a good rapport and a good relationship is important to younger clients with their advisor, mm. whereas that was actually way less important than kind of a good service, uh, good performance, uh, good returns. They kind of misjudged what the younger clients wanted. Do you think that advisors are going to have to kind of shake up the way that they maybe interact with their older clients and and kind of know that it's a different thing with younger generation? I think you're probably right, to be honest. I think the older clients definitely like that face-to-face. They want to see you. They want to, you know, meet with you, mm. have a cup of tea, you know, um, and they enjoy that experience, the whole experience. Whereas I think the younger clients, as they're coming through, if you send them information on an app, they'll be happy with that. If you, you know, if you sure, communicate yeah. by text, they're not going to be offended. Whereas I think some of the elderly clients or older um, generation, they're much more like, well, I haven't got an email and, mm. and I haven't got a mobile. I, I prefer a letter. Yeah. And yeah. quite rightly, you know, you, you've got to treat each client how they want to be treated. Sure. And I think you have to, it's not a case of one size fits all. We've got to be personal and, you, you know, you've got to relate to each each client. Quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's for for years and years the the discussion was around um, segmentation of client bases based on the assets that they have, which is very understandable. But here you're potentially, and obviously you, you've got to treat everybody as an individual, and you can't say just because somebody's young they want one thing, and just because somebody's old they want another thing. But we have so much information on people now that there and so many different ways of communicating with clients and customers and all the rest of it that it just makes sense really to have different methods of pushing information towards people so like you say if somebody is living remotely and doesn't have the internet then clearly they need to be communicated with in a different way to someone who's in the 20s and has got a bit of money and is just on apps all the time and using it I think that's something that's happening across financial services I'm sure in, in advice as well yeah do you think the potential for robo advice in the future I know it's kind of a 
will it ever happen? Uh, <laughs> but do you think that there is a potential pitfall where the younger generation who have grown up with technology as a kind of day-to-day, part of their day-to-day world, um, they may be more kind of susceptible to a potential robo-advice market. Do you think that that's a real issue for advisors or...? I think it could be a real issue for advisors. I think one of the problems I think we're facing is that, you know, they keep saying there's not enough advisors around and potentially the people don't see the benefits with the cost of Mm. of advice. And I think historically advisors haven't had a great name. Um, And I think the changes in the regulations are a good step forward, but they're not achieving necessarily kind of what the aim. We need more younger people to come into financial services. I mean, at, at Quilter, we've got the financial advisor school so it's great to see that your 20 something's coming in mm. and, and advising as well that's also great for clients because they can see that um, when you've got an advisor who's as old or older than you are then you know you're kind of thinking well who's going to look after my money my wealth my family when something right, happens yeah. to me so it's nice to see succession plans in place but we um, I think in terms of what I'm trying to say is robo-advice is great if the right questions are asked. Sure. And when you're a human and you're face-to-face with someone else, you can see that they don't necessarily understand or you might know that they haven't asked the right question. Mm. So if you ask a question kind of under the robo-advice, you're going to get an answer, but you might not have asked the right question in the first place. Yeah, sure, right. So, you know, just something simple like a mortgage, do I need an interest-only or repayment if your question isn't the right question? If you ask a question, of, is it cheaper to have an interest only or repayment mortgage? And I know this isn't a great example, but the answer is going to be interest only. But, you know, someone's going to go away. The no, right option. absolutely not. You know, not, not sure. at all. So, um, yeah, so I do think that we have to be very careful. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I've kind of scoffed slightly at the phrase robot advice, just pu- purely, but not, not because I think there's anything wrong with that, because I think technology is a brilliant enabler for lots and lots of very good things. It's just, it, it often feels like every five minutes there's a new person labelling themselves as a robot advisor and one thing is just offering guidance and another thing is actually offering advice. And I think what, what exactly, I guess it feels like robo-advice hasn't, we, we haven't quite found what robo-advice is in a way that can work well for clients. I think I think quite often it's something of a, of a gimmick that some companies will kind of throw out there just to say that they're doing robo-advice. And actually, re- really, the best form of robo-advice would be a good financial advisor using technology to do the simple stuff. And then the face-to-face stuff that you t- you talked about there, that's, that's where the real value can be added. I think it's just getting kind of removing all those administrative costs and the paper filling and all that kind of stuff. That's where technology really helps. But you can't replace the face-to-face interaction with an advisor with with just a set of questions. Absolutely not. I think also more advisors are using the sort of facilities more. So um, like your, your FaceTime and just being a, using the technology. Yeah. And I personally prefer face-to-face mm. sitting down and actually sitting in front of somebody once you've had that full you know sort of conversation you've got a full understanding then perhaps the next conversation is a call or a facetime but i personally just don't like the idea of maybe i'm old school don't <laughs> really quite like the idea of of that sort of technology yeah. um and being used sure. in that way because i just yeah. think it's so much easier to sit face-to-face with someone yeah I speak to a lot of advisors who use use facetime and um and absolutely swear by it. advisors who are based in different countries who've got client banks in the uk and they say it works absolutely brilliantly but this is a purely personal thing i find it so weird 
I very rarely use FaceTime with friends and family. Yeah. So the idea of getting yeah. financial advice yeah. via FaceTime that's to okay. me is just odd. But that's that, I, think, I think that's a personal thing. A lot of people use FaceTime constantly. And you walk down Oxford Street and people are FaceTiming while they're going and buying the, doing the shopping yeah, and stuff like that. So do you think that there's potentially an opportunity then, rather than robo-advice being like a pitfall for, for classic advice, it's actually more that technology is going to allow clients to pick and choose how they receive advice, whether that be face-to-face, whether that be keeping you up to date by text or email or an app, or whether that be actually, no, please come to my home, <laughs> like I want to sit down and have a cup of tea, then the client's able to choose. Yeah, I think it can be used in a complimentary way sure. um, rather than, you know, sort of singled out independent sort of way it's got to be across, you know. I think the one one of the things with, with robot advice that we need to be very careful of is that people using it know what they're getting i kind of touched on this point earlier but the if you've got one thing out there that says it's robo advice it's actually guidance and another thing out there that says it's robo advice that is regulated advice with all the protections that come with that then they're two very very different things and making sure that and i think you know there's probably more regulatory work to be done on clarifying what guidance is and what advice is and where that line goes and you know but personally the company i work for we've got a direct to consumer business and, and and an advice platform as well so we see both sides of it and it can be quite difficult i think from from both sides knowing exactly where advice stops and where guidance starts or vice versa i think moving to a point where there's more clarity about which is which and therefore more clarity about what what a service can label itself as is quite important so moving on to more kind of technical examples of transferring wealth between generations since 2015 pensions have typically been exempt from iht as far as my understanding goes i know there's some complex pitfalls there as well but yeah but i mean in general do you think pensions are now one of the best ways to pass on wealth Tom? Oh, an independent view on that yes <laughs> uh, says AJ Bell <laughs> yes yeah they are I think it's um it, you know the, obviously the the pension freedoms uh, announcement when it's happened was probably the most dramatic thing that's happened in the retirement space for a long time and clearly the the focus of the, of the headlines and a lot of the debate was around the fact that you could take up to 100% of your money from age 55. But actually, and certainly in a lot of the discussions I've had with financial planners, one of the real big benefits has been something that's been less talked about, I think, in the press, which is the fact that you can pass on money tax efficiently through a pension. And as we were talking earlier about the whole kind of intergenerational conversation, it feels like that opens up a, hu- a whole new conversation with a client when you're talking about retirement you're no longer just talking about your pension you're talking about your kids futures you're talking about iht and it all comes within that same package now so i think that was a hugely positive change and my only i think my only my only reservation around and it's with the reservation i have around any of this stuff is that the fear that a future government will come in and change i was thinking about this last night when i was i was kind of thinking about the stuff that we're going to discuss today and one of the difficulties I imagine is that you're you might be advising on a pension and saying that I think you should save in a pension based on various factors, one of which might be the availability of tax free cash and one of which might be the inheritance tax benefits. There's absolutely no guarantee that either of those things will be there when the client comes to take it. And clearly you have to talk around that with clients. But I think this it's a slightly different point, but I think this is one of the well, one of the big problems with pensions is that I think from a an individual perspective and from a client perspective is that you can never give a guarantee to someone that it's gonna remain this way. So while it it feels it's great at the moment, I think it's a brilliant way of passing on money to to other people and making smart inheritance tax planning decisions. 
my concern would be that people are, are putting money in now and they're relying on a government keeping the rules the same and not pulling the rug from under them. And I don't think there's any guarantee of that at the moment. No, there isn't. I agree. Um, I think we have to be very careful. I think most conversations mm. are caveated with yeah. <laughs> under current legislation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and that makes planning very difficult. Mm. I mean, pensions have tried to be simplified and it, it's just sort of never ending. But I think for me, the biggest change, obviously, with the pension freedoms is trying to change people's mindsets. So um, with well, uh, one client, um, we were talking about taking money and he's got an inheritance tax issue. So he wanted to take tax-free cash from his pension, but he's got a lovely pot of um, ISA savings. Mm. So um, I said, you know, let's take it out of your ISA. And he was a bit like, oh, why would I want to do that? And, and it was like, well, you know, it's, it's more tax efficient kind of mm. today and you've got an inheritance tax problem. So if we spend this, um, you know, and keep that in your pension. Um, and he was like, oh, well, well, I've always thought of my pension as my mm. income and my ISA as my savings. Right. And so it's trying to change that yeah, mindset. Actually, yeah, you yeah. just look at the whole thing as a big pot mm. and kind of let me help you access this tax efficiently, you know, with an eye on, the future as well mm. but equally kind of for the next withdrawal we were then talking and he would like to gift some money to his children mm. so we're actually taking some money from his pension because then his eye support he can access tax-free whenever he's ready to actually gift to his children so he's going to you know sort of make that so this is a, going back to the benefit of advice um you know we're having those conversations and he's taking money from the right place at the right time and you're finding things that may not come up in conversation if you weren't no, taking the time yeah, yeah and sure. that he wouldn't know because his certainly historically mindset yep pension is my income ISA is savings mm. and um, yeah it's you know it's it's great I love it yeah there's an argument to be made now that what is a pension now versus what is and I mean these are just different tax wrappers with slightly different advantages in different ways for you to take your money out and like you say good financial planners now are just talking about these things in the round and you don't your pension isn't necessarily the first thing that you take a retirement income from which historically has been the case and I think that's that's something that's a huge kind of psychological change for a lot of people and something that will probably take quite a lot of time to to get bedded into society. But it's also two different conversations mm. depending on the age of your client. So if you're a client who's ready to access his, his savings, then you're having that conversation of how best do we do that. When you're talking to 20-year-olds about saving for their future, you're not having that inheritance tax conversation. Yeah, yeah. So you're not quite so worried about the legislation at mm. that point. You're more worried about getting them to think about their future and mm. saving for the future. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so mm. I know that's not quite... The, the topic of where we are with intergenerational, no, no. but it's, you know, it is just different conversations mm. of the, the different sort of age range. Another massively off-topic question. Um, <laughs> talking about kind of the concern that you're working under rules that may change in the future. Mm. Has that been a massive issue kind of over the past, say, two, three years? Because we've been in kind of even less uh, certainty and stability that, than we are normally yeah. um so has that been a, in a bit been a big issue for financial advisors i would say it's just an ongoing issue right, sort of yeah. every budget you're kind of like okay what's coming and uh, you know sometimes you're pleasantly surprised there's nothing other times you've had great opportunities like when they increased the isa contribution limits significantly so that was a, a great opportunity for people to save a little mm. bit more but yeah it's you've just got to keep your eye on the legislation and it's yeah. more difficult as advisors you know you have to show that you're doing your CPD to, to keep everything up, up to date. But it's really important that you do um, course, because yeah. you can't go and advise a client on something that actually 
you know, you're unaware that the legislation has changed because clients don't know. You know, it's you're talking to clients, um, particularly the older generation now, who think that if they die, their pension pot's gone. They, you know, they're not yet aware of those changes wow. that happened back in 2015 yeah. Yeah. so you know so it is making sure that mm. that you're you're being clear about you know what the position really is yeah i think ironically actually in the last three years there haven't been that many pensions changes there's obviously been a lot of general uncertainty but because westminster's been so obsessed with a certain thing that's been going on there's not really been any stuff happening so you've had this weird it's i mean i i, I don't really want to call it stability because it doesn't feel very stable does it? and i don't think for individuals or clients it feels stable either and every time like you say we have this problem that every time and i've been in the industry since 2009 and almost without fail every time you come up to a budget high rate pension tax relief, is it going to go yes or no? Pension tax free cash, is it going to go yes or no? It all comes into the papers. I'm writing a piece actually at the moment trying to work out where all this stuff starts. It's very hard to figure it out because frankly, people like me, commentators in the press who who get asked questions about what's going to happen in the next thing and you talk around this stuff, you'll have different people in the treasury flying flags because fundamentally I think this kind of stuff is always up for grabs just because of the sheer cost of it and then you've got newspapers who are just looking for stuff and quite a few think tanks as well who will kind of go in have a meeting with the treasury and then say oh they listen to me so therefore they're eyeing tax free cash or they're eyeing radical reforms pension tax relief and if you're if you're in the in the industry you can kind of just roll your eyes and go it's the same old stuff again but for people whose only real contact with pensions this is certainly for people who don't have financial advice their only contact with pensions might be reading the Mail or the Express or the Telegraph or something like that. And so they just have this sense that everything's about to change and about to collapse all the time. And I think it's really, really damaging. I'll get off my soapbox in a minute. But one of the things that we, we've been calling for over and over and over again is for the government to try to, to introduce some sort of stability into the system. I know we talked about, um, you mentioned pension simplification 2006 earlier, which is some, something of a laugh when you look at the rules now. But it feels like we need something like that again, except for with a kind of lasting lock to keep some of the basic pension tax rules in place. And I don't know how you get there, whether you, you need to have some sort of cross-party agreement on, the stuff, on this kind of stuff. But I think it's been achieved in other countries. I, I seem to remember a Scandinavian country where they managed to agree not to make loads and loads of changes all the time to pension tax incentives. And that managed to, to hold the current way of, of being just doesn't feel like a very good place to be and it's incredibly it makes clearly makes advice incredibly important because every single every single time there's a budget or an election or something else there's a new thing proposed and a new thing for clients to deal with yeah and it also makes advice very difficult yes yes <laughs> and i think uh, i think remarkably being able to bring it back to the original intergenerational yeah. stuff i actually think if there was a more simplified pension system mm. and people actually knew about the benefits of what a pension can provide, then the younger generation would be more interested in them. I think having to explain to my peers, no, go into your pension, put money in now while you're young. Like think about the, Mm. all the benefits that, you know, the employer, the investments give you and no one knows. And part of that I think is because it's so damn complicated. Yes. So realistically, if I think a simplification would help the whole intergenerational issue but you've got the kind of the issue of the intergenerational wealth and passing it down but also Mm. the standing there's not enough education Mm, sure so i've got one daughter at uni who's 
obviously going to have that university debt. But then I've got a son who started an apprenticeship. So poor thing. The you know minute he was starting, I was like, well, you're going to save it lifetime ISA. You're going to save into an ISA. <laughs> yeah. You're going to save for the future. And he was like, oh, am I going to have any money left? Um, <laughs> I made him join their pension. You yeah. know, it was just... But that's because I know what I know. Yeah. And, and there's not enough education out there for youngsters. And I think that's something that we need to improve. Yeah. Hopefully it's something where we will get to see a bit more stuff in the, the Conservatives' last manifesto, they promised to, I think it was some ridiculous thing like extend the principles of automatic enrolment to the self-employed. And what they really meant there was talking about behavioural nudges to encourage people to save in a pension. And one of the reasons that we want to see simplification is because actually uh, for most people, pensions aren't complicated at all. If you haven't accessed your pension anyway, so the MPAA doesn't matter, and you're not a really high earner, so the taper doesn't matter, and you're nowhere near any of the allowances, then actually the way that your bonus works if you're a basic rate taxpayer is dead easy. But I think across the industry, probably, we haven't been very good at just explaining to the vast majority of the population that you get a 25% bonus for saving and you get an employer match as well. And there's some, you know, tax-free cash towards the end and all the rest of it. But that's not a hugely complicated message. The problem is that because you've got, and I think this is more the case for um, people who don't have advice, because an advisor can explain that you're, you know, well, A, a lot of advised clients, I'm guessing, might be affected by some of the stuff that affects higher earners, but B, you can kind of rule some of those things out. But if in the general communications that are sent to people, you can't just say, this is really easy, because you've got to say, you know, you get a 25% bonus, unless you're a higher rate taxpayer, then you can claim some back, that's great. And then there's the taper, and then there's the MPAA. And I think a lot of people, once they get to that point, just go, oh my God, this is, I just can't handle it anymore. And it's totally understandable. So it feels like we could strip away and simplify a load of those things. And then everyone, not just higher earners, everyone would benefit. Tom and Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.